<laughs> I put my brains here. I tried to put them right back where you had them before. Hey, you're, just, you're fine. Okay, I'm going to do announcements. Yeah, how are you? Very good. You do good work, by the way. Oh, it's easy. I, I thought you did a great job of meeting uh, the CCR. Oh, good. good. I mean, you're very clear, you're very complex. Uh, we try to break it down to what's reasonable. Yeah, that's a good thing. Good. Thank you. Good morning. Yeah, it's still a buzz and people coming in, but I'm going to start with the announcements. I'm Dave Ferris, the presiding elder today, and we're delighted to have you here for worship. I had an assistant there help me with a bell. Couldn't quite get him to ride the rope up, but uh, in the future. Uh, if your old friends are new, please pick up the pew pad at the end of the pew to list your name and in any uh, wish that you have to be called upon by a pastor. And our Stephen minister today is Kay Saxum, which is a group that supports members and guests, friends with needs. So you can approach her. She'll be out in the narthex available for confidential uh, issues you may have. And I'd like to have some announcements first. If Betty Wells is here, I'm not sure. Okay. Betty Wells was announcing about nursery school and, or not nursery, the the nursery for children on Sunday and volunteers. So just if you have a question, talk to Betty. Uh, Bob Thompson, you have an announcement for Optimus? Somewhere? Maybe Bob's not here for Optimus, okay? He probably had his target audience at 8.30. I'll call up uh, Joyce Drake with a report on the penny picture sale. Well, it was a busy, busy week here at the First Presbyterian Church for our paint pincher sale. We took in $4,500. I do want to make a comment. When our doors first opened the first day, which would have been Thursday, I have never seen so many people in the fellowship hall. They literally were wall to wall, shoulder to shoulder. Okay. Um, I want to thank those who worked. Are some of the workers here? Please stand up. And many of you came each day to work. And this announcement was at the early service, too. Liz Mahassel did it for you. And I want to thank those who brought in the items for us to set up and those who came and, and bought. And you know, on Wednesday night, we always like to have the Logo children come in after Logos, which they did. And it's such a treat to watch those kids. You know, they know they only have so much money in their pockets to spend. And they're good shoppers. They go around and see what they can find for the good deals. So, but thank you all. Thank you, Joyce and Presterine women. I know countless hours go into doing that every year for the penny pincher sale and all the volunteers and it uh, really makes a difference. Uh, I don't see Bob Thompson back, but he was out in the fellowship hall selling tickets for the Optimists, one of their gatherings. If you have information or questions on it, Bob can provide that. 
And with that, I'll ask Bruce if you would uh, prepare us for worship with a prelude. Thank you. Friends, please join me in our responsive call to worship taken from Psalm 119. Lord, your hands have made and fashioned me. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right. Let your steadfast love become my comfort. In confidence, let us together worship God.
Friends, please join me in the prayer of the day in your bulletin. O wise counselor, you have have given us a treasure trove of your gracious love, mercy, and strength to us. Your word is a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. Help us to follow your word, be lit from within, and radiate it with encouragement to others in the whole of your creation. We pray in the name of the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Amen. But we know enough about ourselves that we have not always radiated encouragement, and so we confess our sin before Almighty God. I have been so busy, Lord. I know so little about your stories, and I do not want others to know how little I know. I do not agree with that person's theology or politics or how they present themselves. The psalmist prays to God on our behalf, saying, The Lord exists forever. Your word is firmly fixed in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your justice. God's justice to us is the redeeming gift of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. friends, but you might want to keep your finger in that hymnal on page 458 because we will be using that tune the other two times before we read scripture to prepare ourselves.
You might have noticed that we had taken much of the opening strophes of our liturgy from Psalm 119. In it, God is speaking about the primacy, the psalmist is speaking to God about the primacy of God's word and finding in it so much joy and completeness as one has delved into scripture. I invite us to hear some of these verses from Psalm 119, picking up on our theme of light. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your decrees are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn away from your ordinances, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to the mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I've sworn an oath and confirmed it to observe your righteous ordinances. I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your ordinances. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have the joy and privilege of inviting all of our young people forward into the chancel. Come on up, friends. Good morning, Will and Lily. Good morning, Anna. Good morning, Tommy. Good morning, Olivia. Extra big hug. Yeah. Morning, sweetheart. Good morning, Sophie. Good morning, Emma. Good morning, Jenna Kaikases. Good morning, Miss Reichman. How are you? Hey, Camden. How's it nice to be up here without Emerson? You get to be the big guy, right? Uh huh. Good to see you. Thanks for helping me out, bud. Wow, look at all these young people. Miss Anna, may I have your help this morning? Would you be willing to help me? And Tommy, can you help me out too? Okay. Anna, would you stand up, please? Tommy, would you stand up behind your sister? And would you put this blindfold gently and lovingly on her, please? I asked them specifically because I know Tommy will do it gently and lovingly. You'll notice that I didn't choose some other combinations. Want some help, honey? Yeah. Yeah. Here, you got to stretch it out. Then you don't mess up her pretty little top knot. Okay? Now you stay up there because I'm going to need your help again. Okay? All right. So can you see anything, Anna? No. Is it a little scary in there? It's not too scary. Not at all scary. Okay, I'm glad you're not scared. That's good. Wait for a little while, and then might it become scary? Why is it scary in the dark? There might be bats and vampires. Any bats and vampires in the sanctuary right now? I don't know. I don't know. But we, but we have to be careful because the dark can be kind of scary sometimes, right? can be. What? But you can see sunlight, can't you? Go ahead and take your your blindfold off again, okay? All right. Now, 
I want to show you what I'm going to hide. Okay, Miss Anna, I'm going to hide this under one of these carpet squares down here. And then I'm going to ask you to find it. But I'll tell you how you're going to find it. It's okay. It's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll help you out. Don't worry. All right? So do me a favor. Put your blindfold back on. Okay? And Tommy, can you very carefully help her come down the stairs? Come on. Come on. All right. Okay. Now you stay right here. Tommy, you can stay behind her. Keep her stable. All right? Because in the dark, it not only helps to have light, it helps to have somebody who loves us. Okay? All right. Now, the rest of you guys, I want you on your, on your honor to cover up your eyes. Okay? Everybody's got to cover up their eyes. No peeking. Come on, everybody. Cover up your eyes. Cover up your eyes. I'm going to hide this. No peeking. No peeking. No peeking. No peeking. No peeking. You cover your eyes too, please, Tommy. Okay? I'm going to put this under one of the squares. No peeking. Come on, guys. Please. We're in a church. No peeking. All right. You can uncover your eyes now. Okay, Annie, you get to keep your... Yep, you can uncover your eyes. Go ahead. All right. Now, how are you going to find what I want you to find? What do you think you need? See, the thing of it is, sometimes, sometimes God only gives us just enough light to figure out one step in front of us. Just one. So, I'm going to use my little light and pretend that it's God's light. And I'm going to guide you to where the card is that I want you to find. Okay. Yeah, okay. So one light at a time. Go ahead. You can step on it. You think it's the blue one? You think it's the blue one? Well, let's test that theory. Take another step. Take another step. Okay, now look under the blue one. Mr. Genekaikis is absolutely convinced it's the blue one. Go ahead and look. Is it under there? Doesn't look like it's there. So we need just enough light to figure out where it might be. Come back on the blue one. Okay, try this one. They, they seem to think it's this one. Go ahead, and, go ahead and look under that one. Ah, look what we found. Yep. Now, I know you're reading very well. Can you read that for me, honey? Excellent job. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, what if I hadn't had the light here? How would she have known where to go? Any ideas, Miss Hilker? She wouldn't know where to go. So how can we, when we're trying to make decisions, if we don't have a literal light, according to this passage that we just read and sang and read again, Let's say it again. Anna, can you do it for me nice and loud again? What's your word? Anybody know? What's word? You know, William. I think it's the word of God. I think that's the gift that God gives to each of us. And if we're trying to figure out where in the world am I supposed to go next, imagine these were stones across a river. How am I supposed to get from one stone to another? That's right. And maybe if you want to make those decisions, you can take a look in the Word of God, right? So, I want us to give thanks to God for the scriptures that have been opened for us, that tell us the truth, that tell us God's Word and God's love and God's stories, where there has been love in the past and will be love in the future. Good idea? 
How about the next step that we're going to do right now? Would you guys like to be a part of the next step, which is baptizing little Graham Sylvester Schmidt? Excellent. To do that, I need everybody to scoot down this way. If you want to take a carpet square with you and sit on a carpet square, you can do that. Okay? There's plenty of carpet squares. And I'm going to invite Melissa and Derek and Graham and our presiding elder Dave Ferris forward. Aaron, would you do me a favor and scoot just a little bit more? Just a little bit more. You guys are good. You're good. And while everybody's setting up, Tommy, you've been such a help. Would you pass those around to everybody? This is so you remember that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Plenty of cards. You can take them home with you, okay? Now, one of the words, one of the phrases that God shares with us in baptism is why we baptize. Can you guess why we baptize? Welcome. To welcome people. That's a great answer, Aaron. Well done. We baptize also because Jesus told us to. Jesus says in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you, even to the end of the age. And so obeying what God has said to us in the words of Scripture, we do baptize those whom God has called. Mr. Ferris, who has God called? On behalf of the session, I present Graham Sylvester Schmidt, son of Derek and Melissa Monahan Schmidt, to receive the sacrament of baptism. And is it your will that you will bring your son up in the strength and admonition of the Lord, being an example to him that he might embrace Jesus Christ as his own Lord and Savior? Will you do this? That's wonderful. Everybody's going to die for the pacifier, but that's not (laughs) going back in his mouth because we're past the 10-second rule, right? Friends, this this water that we use, common, everyday water, to accomplish an uncommon thing. It reminds us of the chaotic waters at creation. It reminds us of the waters through which the Israelites passed to flee from the Egyptians. And it reminds us of the waters in, in which Jesus himself was baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. congregation has a question to answer. Would the congregation please stand? Do you, the members of the Church of Jesus Christ, promise to guide and nurture Graham Sylvester Schmidt by work and deed with love and prayer, encouraging him to know and follow Christ and to be a faithful member of his church? If so, say, I do. I do. You may be seated. Since you're holding Graham, would you give me the complete Christian name of your son? Graham Sylvester Schmidt. 
Ram Sylvester Schmidt, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Ram, you are a child of God. May I hold him? Absolutely. Just like this would be great. That way he can see where everybody is, and all of you can see him too, right? This is Graham Sylvester Schmidt. Would you like to see him? This family up here has seen him a lot. (laughs) And you just made a promise to him, and I thought that if you saw him a little closer, that you would choose in your mind and your heart to be faithful to the promises you as a congregation have made, not just to Graham, but also to his parents. Let us pray. Ever-living God, in your mercy you promise to be not only our God, but also the God of our children. We thank you for receiving Graham Schmidt by baptism. Keep him always in your love. Guide him as he grows in faith. Protect him in all the dangers and temptations of life. Bring him to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and be his faithful disciple to his life's end. And gracious God, giver of all life, we also pray for his parents, Derek and Melissa. Give them wisdom and patience to guide their child in the way of Jesus Christ and the faith of the church. Let your peace and joy dwell in their home, that their family life may be instructed by faith strengthened by prayer, and governed by love. Strengthen them in their own baptism that they may rejoice as children of God and serve you faithfully in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We have some symbols for you to remind you of this very special day. This candle has on it a reminder that it's normal water, common water, to accomplish an uncommon purpose. There's also the Alpha and the Omega reminding us that God is the beginning and the end. And what we'd like to encourage you to do on Graham's first birthday or on the anniversary of this wonderful day, and he's all excited about it, is light the candle and remind yourselves of the promises that have been made for Graham, the promises that come through in Scripture. And yes, you can take this one, but I'll tell you, one of the things that's great about godparents, and you know this from from being a sister of Derek as well, right? There's things that you always have to pick up. <laughs> so this, this blanket is made by Presbyterian women with a lot of love and a certificate to remind you all of this very special day. Congratulations. Thank you for adding to our joy and making God's joy complete with this little one. And friends, you've got a great day waiting for you in the kingdom, don't you? All right, so take your little scripture passages. Remember that you can find the lamp and the light, and shine that light. Okay, anytime. Thank you. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto Still you there.
beside me. Nothing will I fear as long as you are near. Please be near me to the end. My word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church at Philippi, and we're going to read a portion of that letter. And it really, in this reading, we come to three segments of chapter 2 of Philippians. The first section is really a prologue uh, where he says some words of encouragement to us. And then we have a center section, which if you look in most Bibles, is indented. It's actually a hymn. And that hymn was the first creed that the church ever had. Before we had the Apostles' Creed, we had the creed that we find inserted here in this passage in Philippians. And then a summation of things follows the hymn. Listen for the word of God. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy... Make my joy complete, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Now begins the hymn, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave to him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so the hymn ends. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for God's good pleasure. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
while you've sung it, we've prayed it, now to illumine God's word. We're continuing a two-pronged thrust in this fall sermon series, one on light and the other on Barnabas, that character who appears in the history book of the church, the book of Acts, and teaches us how to encourage one another. We have a continuation today of his second appearance in scripture in Acts 9, and his help that he is giving is being given to Saul. You might know this gentleman more easily as Paul after his Damascus Road conversion, but right now he's still known as Saul, and this particular passage picks up right after he has experienced the light of Jesus on the road to Damascus. Hear God's word to you. For several days, Saul was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem among those who invoked this name? And has he not come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? Saul became increasingly more powerful and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. After some time had passed, the Jews plotted to kill Saul, but their plot became known to him. They were watching the gates day and night so that they might kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. When Saul had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a true disciple. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, and described for them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who had spoken to Saul, and how in Damascus Saul had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. So Saul went in and out among them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He spoke and argued with the Hellenists, but they were attempting to kill him. When the believers learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Meanwhile, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was built up. Living in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
let's syncopate, let's scintillate, and let's get all that into our thoughts and minds and prayers. Thank you, Claire. You probably can recite it with me. You know, Murphy's Law. If anything can go wrong, it will. And the corollary to that is, there are an infinite number of things that can go wrong. I bet you can think of a few of your own examples, like the other line at Wegmans always seems to be moving a little faster, or the chance of the bread falling with the peanut butter side down is directly proportional to the cost of the carpet towards which it is falling. No matter how long or how hard you shop, after you've purchased that precious trinket, you always find it someplace else a little bit less expensively. Any tool dropped while fixing the car is going to roll to the exact center of the car underneath. Or planned dates cause pimples. A meeting is an event where the minutes are kept and the hours are lost. According to Murphy, the world is a discouraging place. Come on, friends, with me. Would you like to debunk that myth? Can we? Yes, we can. Can we debunk that myth? Yes, we can. Is it easy to do that? It is. And then again, it isn't. You see, it's an easy thing to be an encourager if we're in the habit of being an encourager. Because it's like water sluicing off of a duck's back if we've already learned how to encourage. The problem is, if we're more used to discouraging, we're mired in mud like stuck pigs, and then the only sluicing that's happening there is the kind that you don't want to raise in polite company. So in order for us to become a little bit more familiar with what it is to encourage, let's take a look at some literal meanings of the word. Encourage is to put courage into somebody, or the Greek word for it is translated from periklesis, and it means literally to come alongside. The Greek word is found in several New Testament passages like 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Encourage one another and build up one another, as indeed you are doing. Or Hebrews 10, verses 24 to 25. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Or finally, in our lectionary passage for this morning that Pastor Bruce read from Philippians, we have these words. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Or to roughly paraphrase the Greek paraklesis here, we would say, If there is any coming alongside in Christ, make my joy complete. History and literature, both fiction and nonfiction, are replete with examples of people coming alongside to help us. Among other names, we can give those who come alongside sidekicks. Sidekicks make the world go round. They come to the rescue, figure stuff out before anybody else, and provide much-needed perspective on all the random events comprising life. Even the coolest adventurer is nothing without a sidekick or two. 
unless, of course, you follow karate and you're Bruce Lee, and then you don't need a sidekick person. All you need is your sidekick. Some of those more well-known literature sidekicks, though, are Sancho Paza for Don Quixote, Dr. Watson, I presume, for Sherlock Holmes, Tonto for The Lone Ranger, Robin for Batman, Friday for Robinson Crusoe, Ethel Mertz for Lucy Ricardo, Ron and Hermione for Harry Potter, and Chewbacca for Han Solo. The original sidekick, though, for the early church was Barnabas. Who had another sidekick for me? I saw a hand. Come on, come on, tell me, tell me, who's the other sidekick? Come on, Alex. Who's the other sidekick, bud? Okay, come on up to the mic. Malfoy, in Harry Potter, his sidekicks were Crabbe and Goyle. Dude. A big round of applause. Thank you. Uh, hey. Alex, will you be my sidekick? Will you be my sidekick now? Did you all make a promise to raise these kids in the way of the Lord, or what? I am so impressed. You know what? Sidekicks like Barnabas can seem like minor characters, but they will change the course of history. Think about it. In 1491 and 1492, Christopher Columbus had been to the rulers of Italy, Portugal, and Spain, seeking support for his voyage of discovery, and all had turned him flatly down. As he was leaving the castle of King Ferdinand of Spain after being refused yet again, legend has it that a man on horseback raced after him to call him back to the court. You see, Queen Isabella had said that she would sell her jewels to finance his trip. Two weeks from now, when we celebrate Columbus Day, it's not just a great long weekend, but it's an opportunity for each one of us to thank God for the sidekicks in history that have changed our lives that anonymous person who came alongside and saved Christopher Columbus. Consider what might have happened, though, if Barnabas had not convinced the apostles of Saul's authentic Damascus-based conversion. Paul would not have gone on to evangelize the Corinthians, the Philippians, the Ephesians, the Galatians, the Colossians, the Romans, and all those who were influenced by his letters as they were circulated. Barnabas, this minor character changed the course of history. Through his actions, as we read in Acts 9.31 for this morning, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was built up. Living in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. We might say that Saul's sidekick gave the early church its much-needed Barnabas bump. But how did Barnabas develop this spirit of encouragement? Well, we know only two things about Barnabas's provenance, as we read last week in Acts 4.36. The first is that he was a Levite. 
meaning that he was of Jewish heritage descended from one of Jacob's sons, Levi. And chances are that as a Levite, he had been steeped in what we now call the Old Testament, the scripture of the day. And second, we know that the apostles had renamed this man. Instead of calling him by his given name of Joseph, they called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Think about it. They had named him because of his primary characteristic. If you and I were to be named by our primary characteristic, what would our names be? Would they be lovely names like Faith, Hope, or Grace? Or would they be names like Cynic, Critic, Busy? Think about it. There is this amazing woman at Strong's Curse Developmental Center named Comfort. No kidding, that's what her parents named her. And she is exactly what her name implies. She deals with distraught people all day long, and she manages to consistently and calmly comfort them. I asked her once if her name influenced her ultimate behavior, or if her parents had named her after getting to know her for a few hours or moments or days or weeks, and then that's how it had developed. And she said because she had only known one name and one life, she figured it might be a little bit of both. So by what name would we want to be known? Scripture has many examples of people being renamed. Abram and Sarai became Abraham and Sarah. Joseph, as we just learned, became Barnabas. Saul became Paul. Simon became Peter. And Jesus, obviously, became the Christ. Barnabas likely developed this spirit of encouragement, and consequently his new name, out of his Levite knowledge and reading of Scripture. So that leads me to ask, why should we personally care about reading scripture? Well, you're Pittsfordians. Why do we care about reading? Is reading very important? I found this lovely poster in a teacher's classroom recently. She said, these are the benefits from reading. Joy. Oh, joy. Getting lost in a book is one of life's greatest pleasures. Transformation. Reading challenges us to take risks to consider new perspectives and possibilities, to outgrow our present circumstances and ourselves. Communion, and not just this kind of communion, but communion with God. It's the intimate conversation between reader and author, and the language that they use is all in magnificent variations. Imagination. Our life's dreams often begin in the pages of a books that are sparked to imagine something. Inspiration. We honor those who connect us at just the right moment with the text that we need. Advocacy. We celebrate those who work to help each other and access books and discover the triumph of reading. This poster concluded with the words, reading makes lives. Now imagine the benefits not just of reading, but of reading scripture. And I would say that if reading makes lives, then reading scripture makes life worth living. As an adult, I have chosen to live in four different cities. First in Washington, D.C. for my graduate degree and then working for the federal government and then being lured away by what was the predecessor to Verizon, GTE at the time. Then I was moved by GTE down to Atlanta, heard my calling to God there, 
and moved to Princeton for seminary. And then finally, you all called me here. When I was in Atlanta in the year that they hosted the 1996 Olympics, and go ahead, you can do the mental math, I initially knew very few people. But while I was there in the company cafeteria, I observed one of our sanitation engineers by the name of David, and he was always faithfully reading his Bible. Now, don't get the idea that he was some kind of a recluse, because he wasn't. He always had a gaggle of people around him, and he was as jovial as they come. I asked him one day, David, why is your nose always in the Bible? What are you getting out of it? He said, it's the one thing that gives me daily joy and satisfaction. Now, at the time, I had not read the Bible through, and I was quite frankly intimidated by that big book. And I asked him, so where would I start reading? And he gave the best answer, so much so that I continue to use that answer when people ask me, where do I start? And here it is. Start with the Psalms. You know, a couple weeks ago, Craig said, open up your, book, your Bible to about halfway through and you'll find the Psalms, and Psalm 119 is going to be one of them. Read the Psalms. He also suggested, read any one of the four Gospels. Take your pick and make your way through it. Well, I did, and I was hooked. I couldn't put that New York Times bestseller down, and you know that the Bible has topped the New York Times list ever since they've had a New York Times list. I wonder if you've ever had this happen to you. You're frantically searching for just the right word. You send up a silent prayer to God, and bammo, the word appears. Or better yet, you're looking frantically for something. Wasn't it just just right here? And then the light shifts, and plain as the nose on your face, it's right there before you. That happens to me whenever I'm working with scripture, wrestling with it, just like Jacob did, and trying to figure out how can I use scripture for sermons or articles or for Bible study or for a baptism or for a wedding or for a funeral. And when I pray, God just gives me exactly what I need. Like for today's sermon, I was trying to figure out how to make Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the Bible, come to life. This was on my bookshelf. I got it at Penny Pincher a couple years ago. And wouldn't you know it, in God's providence, this daily psalm devotion by Eugene Peterson, the meditations for Psalm 119 start tomorrow, September 29th, and they take me all the way through October 26th. It includes such gems as this one from October 2nd. It's opened my eyes, and it's centering on verse 18 in Psalm 119, which is, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And the meditation for that is, when we find ourselves deficient in wisdom, it's not because of the word of God has pages missing, but because we've not seen all there is on the pages that we already have. It's not another book we need, but better attention to the book that we already have. It's not more knowledge we require, but better vision with light to see what has already been revealed in Jesus Christ. Psalm 119 is a wonderful marvel. It's a tour de force in the acrostic style, consisting of 22 sections, each containing eight poetic lines, and each beginning with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dal, etc. Some scholars believe that Psalm 119 was once the end of the Psalms. We now have 150. But the reason they think that it was the end of the Psalms at one point is because Psalm 1 also emphasizes the importance of the word of God 
and they could have acted as bookends. God is mentioned in every verse of this psalm, and the entire psalm speaks of the primacy, authority, sufficiency, efficacy, and encouragement of God's word in the life of the reader or hearer. It is a personal plea from the depths of humanity for help. Oppressed and persecuted by powerful enemies who scorned and ridiculed his beliefs in God, the unnamed psalmist found great strength and much comfort by trusting, keeping, and meditating on the word of God. And of the four general types of psalms, Psalm 119 is considered to be a wisdom psalm. The other three types are praise, laments, and royal psalms. So I'm just curious. We've talked about wisdom, praise, laments, and royal psalms. Of 150 psalms, which of those four categories do you think would be the most prominent in the Bible? Any guesses? Praise. Praise. Yeah, we think it would be praise, right? Because isn't our hymnal, and wasn't the ancient hymnal the Psalter of that day? Think praise. Good guess. Wrong. (laughs) Actually, there are about 20, and scholars dispute this, there are about 20 psalms that could be classified as praise. Interestingly enough, surprisingly, or perhaps not surprisingly, given the fact that we as humans like to separate ourselves from God when we know we're in the wrong, and then we turn around and say, hey God, where are you? I need you. And God's saying, I'm I'm still here. Where are you? The biggest category of psalms is lament psalms. There are some 40 psalms that fall into that category for individuals. And then there's an additional approximately 19 communal or national laments. And those laments follow this standard format. There's an opening, an invocation of God's name. There's a description of the present need. There's a prayer for help and deliverance. There's reasons why God should listen to the prayer. And then there's the rationalization and bargaining that goes on, the vow to offer praise or sacrifice once the the thing is delivered. It's like saying, okay, if you get me through this test, God, I promise I'll clean up my room every day consistently without my parents telling me to do so. And then after all of that, there's this sudden shift to praising God. And that's one of the hallmarks of the Lament Psalms. You go from all of this long, drawn-out process, and then bammo. All of a sudden, we as humans remember that God has been faithful to us in the past. We're inspired by scripture that reminds us that God will be faithful to us in the future. And we can come around to this place of saying, you are my salvation. You are my protector. You are the God that made me and loves me beyond all recognition. Therefore, I praise you. Psalm 23, for example, is considered one of these kinds of psalms. Royal psalms are simply those that mention the king, and wisdom psalms are the ones that connect us to Old Testament wisdom literature, and they include phrases like, happy are those who, or it's better to do, or they're used as some kind of an instruction from a teacher to a pupil, or from a parent to a child. Psalm 119, with its acrostic pattern, is one of those wisdom psalms. My husband, Bill, has a colleague whose name is Kelly. And Kelly is a remarkable breast cancer survivor. When they were in a recent retreat setting and they were all sharing something with one another, she talked about how she beat the cancer. And she credited having read Lance Armstrong's biography for having given her the inspiration to do so. She said that even in the midst of treatment, Armstrong managed to keep training 
for cycling's premier Tour de Force event, the Tour de France. And when she was asked, yeah, but Armstrong was prosecuted successfully for having used performance enhancement drugs. Didn't that disabuse you of the inspiration that he was providing? And she said, oh, absolutely not. He was human, but he managed to do the superhuman and persevered. And I knew that I, as a human, could persevere too. She knew that she could do that. Just as Lance Armstrong was not perfect, King David in biblical times was far from perfect. He committed adultery and conspired to have Bathsheba's husband killed. And yet, we remember David not primarily for that, but for his having written the Psalms, for having united the kingdoms, and for having brought together this great inspiration that we continue to read about. God used an imperfect David in biblical times to encourage others. God can use an imperfect Lance Armstrong in modern times to inspire others. God can use an imperfect you and me in these days, right here and now, to inspire others. As we've sung before each reading of scripture today, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I challenge you to get that out of your head today. (laughs) Through God's word, God wants us to bring light, so we need not settle for cafeteria Christianity light. Diving into scripture, we can move from discouraging Murphy's Law to the encouraging Barnabas bump. And if you've ever felt any trepidation over about, about where to start or how one might persevere, let me encourage each one of us to think about attending one of the Bible studies offered here five days a week. And yes, we're striving for eight days a week to show God that we love God, right? If you want to put together a Bible study that needs to meet on Tuesday or Saturday, the more the merrier. Tell us about it. We'll make it happen. Think about the efficacy of groups that meet together to to tackle intimidating disciplines, like running marathons with a fleet feet group, or eating healthily through Weight Watchers, or avoiding addictive behaviors through Alcoholics Anonymous. We know that as humanity, we do things better when we do it together in small groups. So let us together give ourselves that gift. Just as Psalm 119, verse 103 says for today, together we learn how sweet are God's words to our taste, sweeter than honey to the mouth. What starts as joy will end up as wisdom and result in that history-changing Barnabas bump. And all God's people can say, Amen. Faithful preaching shows light upon the ancient texts of Scripture, and in gratitude we have a prayer to share. Thank you, Lord, for feeding us abundantly with your word. Bless these gifts inspired by your graciousness to us and use them to encourage others to your engulfing, cleansing, and redeeming light. Amen.
As you know, we sometimes read prayer requests, never really having looked at them much before. Um, We've been asked to pray for John Keller. Um, John is in northern Iraq with the U.S. Army. We've been asked to pray today for Jamie Reinhardt. Jamie's going to have oral surgery on Wednesday. And when she has that surgery, she'll be going under general anesthesia. Jamie usually sits right over here. We've been asked to pray today um, for all of those people um, who are world leaders, that they will use wisdom in the decisions that they make. We've been asked to pray for um, uh, Mary Williams. Um, this is, uh, and for Stephanie Fernays. I've been praying in the past for Stephanie, but to pray uh, that God will be with uh, both of them as they make small improvements. We've been asked to pray today for Tiu Puza for a continued recovery following a cardiac arrest. And um, I'm assuming this is a friend of yours, Bonnie. Did I pronounce that correct? We've been asked to pray today for Sieni, a nephew's wife. Uh, Muriel Nothard's made the request for protection during an auto accident and for all who have been involved with that. We've been asked to pray for uh, Carolina DeHaan family. Um, we're praying for her family because she passed away on September 12th from a clear cell sarcoma. And this is difficult because she was only 35. And she leaves two young daughters, ages 9 and 12, and they live in Webster. We've been asked to pray for women um, who visited in the hospital. Eloise has asked us to do that. Uh, She was so touched 
by the visit of these women. Um, They gave her encouragement, Eloise writes. And Vince and Cindy Harper would appreciate it if we paused in prayer for their son, Tim. Uh, Tim has been uh, attending some jazzy camps, and uh, at the moment he is doing a semester abroad from Penn State University. He's in Nairobi, Kenya. Matter of fact, we probably ought to try and figure out how to get him to make a weekend trip over to the orphanage where a number of us worked this summer in the west side of Kenya. But he's there in Kenya. That's uh, Tim Harper. And I would ask for your prayers. Uh, as soon as worship ends, uh, Martha and I will drive south to Philadelphia. I, I have a roommate from Princeton, and um, he made the decision uh, this Thursday that Thursday would be his last dialysis. And he's in such pain. Uh, he's also been the pastor to our daughter and son-in-law and grandchildren. And so we'll take communion to, to Jim today, and then I'll return tomorrow. There's always such need in prayer. And we're never together as a people as when we pray. Please join me. Lord God, we worship you today, recognizing that it's so easy for us to look for the differences and the distinctions and uh, dissimilarities that bring about discord and harmony, not just in the world, but even in your church. But we are together today, encouraged by your word, and we pray for all of these who need help and support, for those who face illness for those who have challenges in their lives, and for those who are filled with gratitude. We thank you, Lord, that in Christ there are no boundaries. We thank you for creedal statements and hymns long written ago that continue to guide and direct our thinking and our behavior. We pray for those who do not know that there is a song of love being sung for them, that they might join with the singer and the singing. We pray for those who have yet to find a fellowship where they feel accepted, cared for, encouraged. Yes, Lord, we ask that we might be the kind of people that encourage others and shed light in their life because we seek to live the words that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Your benediction comes from this beautiful little Korean hymn. Jesus, Lord, when you send your word, word of life and lamp to our feet, all we who wander in sin find strength and newness of life. May you feel that newness of life, and may you continue to reflect it as you go out into this world. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each and every one of us this day and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.